Chapter 13 of Wise and Otherwise. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Wise and Otherwise by Pansy. Chapter 13. Oh, that they were wise, that they understood this. Now you shall have a glimpse of Jane's room. Jane was Mrs. Sayles' cook, and a character in her way, with views and feelings decidedly her own. Her room was up a second flight of stairs, and the windows looked out on the strawberry beds, and in the distance the vegetable garden, prospects that Jane thoroughly appreciated and enjoyed. It was no seven-by-nine box of a room. There were no such sleeping rooms in Mrs. Sayles' household. She held to the unreasonable idea that if small, close sleeping apartments were unhealthy for the mistress, they were equally so for the maid. So this was a good, generous room, requiring thirty yards of yard-wide carpeting to cover it, and this carpet was small and dainty in figure, bright in coloring, and fresh and clean. There were no odd pieces among the chamber furniture. Since it all had to be new, the mistress saw no reason why it should not be neat and well chosen. She even chose it with an eye to the color of the carpet and paper on the walls, knowing meantime that it was to grace her cook's room. Well, why not? Cooks have eyes. There was a good, wholesome glass set on the bureau, which neither made you look squint-eyed nor green in color. The bed was neatly spread in white, even the pillowcases had a little row of frilling around the edge. Over the washstand was a gas fixture, another by the bureau. The hot and cold water pipes had not been forgotten in this room, and there was a plentiful supply of soaps and towels. On the low, wide window seat there grew and blossomed a pot of roses, another of geranium, and one little spray of mignonette. These were gifts from Mrs. Sayles, and cherished by stern-visaged Jane, as no owner of a conservatory ever thought of cherishing his choicest plants. There were pictures, too, on the walls, a photograph of Mrs. Sayles, another of Baby Essie, a pretty engraving or two, and one dainty chrome. Jane's own personal property, these were, gifts from time to time, presented by the master and mistress, or sometimes from Baby Essie herself. And this was the cook's room. Aye, it was, and she was sole occupant of it, too. The house was large and means were plenty, and there was no need, Mrs. Sayles thought, of stifling little tender seeds and choking good resolves that might perhaps find lodgment in some girl's heart if they were not frittered away by idle gossip or plucked up by the roots by some unsympathetic eye that must needs be always with her. Mrs. Sayles believed it was a means of grace to give every heart a chance for quiet communion with its inner self. Now what a chorus of indignant voices could I hear above my ears if I could only be invisibly present while some half-dozen mistresses of houses and servants were reading and discussing this description of Jane's room. I distinctly hear them. The idea, says one. Perfectly absurd, echoes another. Some ridiculous old maid wrote that who never kept house and never had a servant, spatters an indignant third party. I beg your pardon, my dear madam. I am not an old maid, and I have kept house and had a servant. And did you give her a room like the one you have been describing? And now the entire six sit up straight in various stages of exasperation and await my answer. No, ma'am, I didn't. Let me tell you why. I had no such fair and beautiful room in my whole house as the one I have been describing. But I did the best I could. I had the bed furnishings whole and neat and clean. I had little toilet glass and washbowl and pitcher on the washstand. If I could not find carpeting enough to cover the whole room, I always managed a square bit for the front of the bedstead and another for the washstand. I always managed to introduce some means of warmth into the room, 
if the thing were possible. I do not mean that I gave my very best and brightest things to my hired servant. Mrs. Sales did not. You should have seen her guest chamber. I only mean that there was no awful incongruity between the servant's room and every other abiding place. It is not every one that can lavish the dainty beauty on their cook's room that Mrs. Sales did on hers. But the people are very few who, living with many of the comforts of life about themselves, have need to deprive their hired help of the common necessaries wherewith to make a decent and cleanly toilet. And the people are very many who do just that thing. I have had occasion several times in my life to glance for a minute into servants' rooms in my passage through grand houses, and the sight has made me angry. Amid all this American hue and cry of poor help, it is time that someone took up the counter-cry of poor mistresses, miserable mistresses, who smuggle their hired girls into miserable attics, and give them nothing wherewith to be comfortable or even decent. Well, at the door of Jane's large bright room stood Mrs. Sales, gently tapping. It was another of this strange woman's strange ideas, that she saw no earthly reason why she should be at liberty to burst, without warning or invitation, into her servant's room, when to do so with any other member of her household would be a gross impertinence. So she tapped gently and waited her invitation to enter. In her hand she carried a tiny jar, with a spray of ivy just springing into life. Mrs. Sale's cook had nerves. She belonged unmistakably to that class of people who have nothing to do with such inconvenient articles. She had not even seen better days. In fact, these days wherein she reigned supreme in the great airy, well-appointed kitchen, were really Jane's very palmiest ones. And yet there came to her times when the oven would be a shade too hot, or not quite hot enough, when chairs would tip over and milk spill and dish-towels drop, without any apparent cause for such insane proceedings. And, strange to say, Jane's temper seemed to be no more strongly fortified on such occasions than if she belonged to a higher order of humanity. On this particular day her nerves had evidently been tried. Matters had gone awry with her since she first made her appearance in the kitchen with a gloomy face, and boxed little Tom's ears for scattering ashes on the hearth. The toast, when it came up to the dining-room, was just a trifle scorched, and Mrs. Sales, going down to speak about it afterward, caught a glimpse of the solemn-faced creature and forbore. It was evidently no time in which to bring forward a plea for toast. There was no telling what had rasped the unsteady nerves. And really, for the time, it did not matter what had, since trouble manufactured out of a molehill, after it has loomed into a mountain, is, while the vision lasts, just about as hard to endure as though it were a real mountain. So the mistress spoke gently, praised the manner in which the eggs were cooked, instead of finding fault with the toast, and immediately sent upstairs for Hannah to come and lighten some of the cares of the kitchen. A very singular mistress was Mrs. Sales. So here she stood, gently tapping at her servant's door, and presently entered, in response to a somewhat surly invitation to do so. Jane sat over by the window, where the sunlight did not come, sewing hard and fast on a coarse, thick garment. Mrs. Sales commenced her sentence the minute she had closed the door. Here, Jane, is the ivy slip I promised you. It has rooted at last, but it required an immense amount of coaxing to make it do so. Thank you, ma'am, Jane said, still in a somewhat surly tone, and added grimly. It takes a power of fussing to make some things come out right, and then they won't, after all is said and done. Nevertheless, she bestowed sundry little loving touches on the thrifty green leaves of the ivy, 
as she made room in the window seat for the pot. Mrs. Sayles helped herself to a chair. What is that long seam, Jane? Won't the machine sew it? The machine is busy, ma'am, and this seam is in a hurry. Oh, there is nothing so very important for the machine to-day. I just came from the sewing-room. Baste it up, Jane, and then baste in a hem, if it is to be hemmed, and I'll send it up to Maria. It is a wrapper, isn't it? For your father? How nice that will be! But doesn't it need more cutting out in front? I'm sure I don't know, ma'am, Jane said in despairing tones. It's the witchedest acting being I ever see, anyway. And I've been that tried with it, that if there was a fire in the grate, I'm thinking I'd stuff the thing in. No sermon on the sin of impatience did Mrs. Sayles preach, unless the sermon was in her gentle, sympathetic tones. Let me take it a moment. Now lend me your scissors. Yes, it needs cutting out a little more and trimming off, and the collar isn't quite right. If you will thread me a needle, I will baste it on a trifle higher. I had trouble with Mr. Sayles's last winter, so I am posted. I've let it out and puckered it in, and turned it backward and forward, until I don't know which is head and which is tail, said poor Jane in desperation, and I never knew how to make one of them things anyway. Then I wonder that you have succeeded so well. They are hard to make. This is going to be very nice. It only needs a little alteration. Was it because of your haste with this that you did not get out to the prayer meeting last evening? Jane's warm red face grew redder, but she answered promptly, No, ma'am, it wasn't that. I stayed with father all the evening, but it wasn't that either. Father slept all the while, and mother was there and Susan, and I could have gone just as well as not if I'd wanted to, but I didn't feel no hankering after the meeting, and that's the long and short of it. Didn't you feel the need of any help? Yes, ma'am, I did, plenty of it, but I didn't expect to get none there, and ma'am, that's exactly what I want to speak to you about. I've pretty near made up my mind to go to the other church. This was spoken with a rather defiant air, and Jane looked as though she expected and were fully prepared to meet opposition. Her mistress took the matter very calmly, indeed, only asking in quiet tones, Do they have a different saviour at the other church? No, ma'am, said Jane abashed, but they do have a different minister, they do so, and it's just come to that pass with me, I can't get along with Mr. Tresevant no longer. Him and me has got to go different ways. A body has feelings, Mrs. Sayles, and they can't get along without em. And I'm free to confess that I can't get along with mine. I've stood a great deal and kept in my place and said nothing, but I ain't going to do it no more. What is the trouble, Jane? You haven't told me how your feelings have been hurt. Well, ma'am, it ain't easy told. It ain't like a big stab with a knife that bleeds and makes a fuss and has everybody see it. It is just pins, little mites of em at that, pricking into you here and there every hour. The long and short of it is, I'm used to being treated decent. I ain't a fool. I don't expect em to invite me into their parlor to spend the afternoon, though, for the matter of that, I've been in Mrs. Mulford's parlor and stayed an hour at a time. But I do want to be spoke to as if I was a human being and not an animal. Mr. Tresevant is certainly not unkind to you, Jane? Mrs. Sayles' tone was somewhat startled, and James' similes were rather striking but Jane herself was entirely composed and answered promptly, No, ma'am, he ain't, neither to me nor to Nero, and he treats us both about alike. I'm a decent woman, and I conduct myself respectable, continued Jane, waxing eloquent, and I'm a member of his church, 
and it ain't no more than fair that he should have a word to speak to me now and then. Oh, Jane, I'm afraid you're a little bit foolish about this. Don't you know gentlemen get used to seeing the same people about them, day after day, and don't think to speak to them? Oh, yes, said Jane, nodding her head with indignant emphasis. I know all about it. I haven't been about him near so long as I have about Mr. Sales, and he always thinks to speak a pleasant word. But Mr. Tresevant is different from Mr. Sales. He is absent-minded. He don't speak to me half the time when I meet him in the halls, but I don't get offended about it. It isn't that, said Jane, jerking her thread with an impatient air. Why, ma'am, you know I ain't a fool, and I don't want folks to palaver to me, nor make any fuss about taking notice of me. It's just that once in a while I like to have my minister act as if I was a human being, and had got a soul. I can't explain to you how it is, but I can feel it. Mr. Tresevant don't know nor care no more about me than if I was that black cricket there on the hearth, and he takes pains to show it, too. Why, land alive, if he took half the trouble to notice me that he does to show that he looked over and around and above me, I'd be set up with importance. And as for her, there's no pleasing of her. I'm expected to know, without telling, which night she wants her toast wet and which night she wants it left dry. And I do, too, for that matter. I know that the night I leave it dry she wants it wet. I can't suit her, nohow, try my best and it's plenty of sour looks and cross words I get from her, and it don't stand to reason that I can be pricked forever and not get rough. But that's neither here nor there, after all. I could bear all them things and not say a word, and go down on my knees to both of em all my days, if he would be kind of nice-like to father. But when it comes to neglecting of him, that's more than flesh and blood can stand. I know, Mrs. Sale said, with exceeding gentleness, it is very hard for us to fancy that those we love are neglected, but I think that we are very apt to forget that in a large congregation like Mr. Tresevant's there are always many sick ones, and that the clergyman has only a little time to divide among them all. Jane sewed on grimly. It's a queer kind of dividing, she said at last. It ain't more than ten steps from Judge Barnett's gate to ours, and Mr. Tresevant has been in there every single day since Judge Barnett hurt his arm and he ain't no need of him either, for every one says he is getting on fine, and will be out in a few days. And there's my father, who ain't set foot out of doors, it will be thirteen weeks next Sunday. Sad more than that, he never will again, and no minister ever comes near him. That's more than my blood can bear. And poor Jane's tears fell thick and fast among the stitches that she was vainly trying to take. Her nerves had decidedly got the better of her, her mistress stitched away in pitying silence for a little while, then asked gently, Did you ever tell Mr. Tresevant how ill your father was? You know he is a newcomer here, and I dare say does not hear of half the sick ones. We are all careless in that respect. I've not been careless, man, you may be sure, with my father lifting a corner of the curtain when the minister comes out of Judge Barnett's side door to see if his turn is coming, and then dropping it patient-like and saying, Ah, well, he hasn't time to-day, most likely. Yes, I told him all about my father, how he used to be at meeting regular and at prayer meeting, and how he loved them, and how sick he was, and how the doctor said he would never be any better, and how much he longed to see his new minister. I've told him a dozen times, and he said, I'll look in on him some day when I have time. And when last I spoke to him, he made no answer at all, and she said, 
How that creature does pester one about her father! End of chapter 13 Recording by Tricia G.